Hello, loves. Riddles here. Just popping by to let you know that the following podcast contains spoilers for the movie Alien. Don't say I didn't warn you now. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes then try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and this week's movie is a legendary sci-fi horror, Alien. So, dear listeners, prime to port, and let's get diabolical. Welcome to this week's episode. Joining me, as always, are my friends and fellow podcasters in their guise as the panel of peril. I'd like to ask them now, please introduce yourselves and tell me, what was the first film you watched that your parents introduced you to that perhaps you were a little too young for at the time? Gaz here, the one that's leapt into my mind, is pretty sure it was a pirate copy we got on VHS, myself and my dad, when I was... When did it come out? 92... I probably would have been 10 or 11 watching Silence of the Lambs with my dad. Jeez. Uh, oh, wow. Listening wow. to uh, Migs say that he can smell her cunt and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeepers. <laughs> did your dad try and broach that with you and explain it, or did he just sit quietly? <laughs> I adopt the same technique that uh, that he did and just ignore it. And Yeah. Kids tend not to notice that stuff, don't they? Just ignore it. Don't make a big deal out of it. It's fine. Yeah, sometimes they just go, what's that? And, or, you know, they probably think of it, but they don't actually say anything. You say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I have to write and ask the filmmaker. There's also a chance that he just didn't hear it, right? That could be true. Hmm. Well, he's very deaf now. I think back then he, he yeah. probably had better hearing. <laughs> <laughs> His mind would have been on the bolognese. <laughs> Lord Manly Supreme here. And when I first got this brief... It just said, what was the first film that your parents introduced to? And for me, I remember going to Hlandidno Cinema and watching <laughs> Little Mermaid with my mum. But since you've uh, clarified the brief a little bit and said something that I was perhaps too young to watch, I remember my older brother for like his 15th or 16th birthday sleepover, uh, they rented Robocop. Ooh. And uh, oh. we begged to watch it, me and my younger brother. We mm. begged and begged and they eventually gave in. But my mum and dad had this thing. I don't know if anyone else had it in the early late 80s, early 90s, maybe. It was like a transmitter box. And basically, it was a box with a, a long antenna. And you could trans, transmit the screen from one TV or video to another screen in the house if you pointed wow. the antenna mm. towards it. Wow. So they were watching it in their room. And we got to watch it in another room. But they would turn off the transmitter at the gory bits. So we saw about <laughs> 20 minutes of Robocop. We thought we were, you know, we were, we were adults. Right? Oh, we watched Robocop. No idea what the story was. The guy <laughs> who falls in the toxic waste and explodes on the windscreen, I yeah. think it's still the most upsetting thing I've ever seen on cinema. <laughs> it's um, It was edited out of the TV show, wasn't it? Out of the TV ones on ITV and that. Yeah, oh. I didn't see it for years. And then then eventually you see him coming out of that and then there's all these bits of melting. And I was like, I've never yeah. seen this before when I first time I saw it. It's like flipping out. He just pops like a water balloon over the windscreen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's gross. That's great. But I didn't see that till I was an adult, obviously. Oh, like, yeah. I had no idea what was going I didn't, on. Yeah, brilliant. The weird thing is, that was my mum's all-time favourite film. She loved Robocop. John Wayne films and Robocop. Wow. <laughs> wow. Good taste. See, Little Mermaid, though, is not without its adult moments. For instance, when she first becomes a human, uh, she's not wearing anything. 
I've seen everything. Yeah. You've seen it all. She stands up in the water and the first thing Prince Eric sees is her business. No wonder he's interested. (laughs) Her business. What kind of business has she got? Uh, lemonade stand? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Presumably she lays eggs and then he goes in the water after her. And just and eats them. Oh, oh. <laughs> Craig here. My mum was really into Goldie Horn. Uh, so when I was a kid, I saw films like Private Benjamin, Wildcats, that were probably like 15s. My dad probably... Uh, he He's not a massive film guy, but he for sure would have let me watch something like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. But like a lot of us, my siblings are a lot older than me. So my brother's 10 years older than me. And that meant when I was eight years old, I think, I had seen Predator, Uncut, and Highlander. <laughs> I'd say, it's, it's, I can't remember exactly, but it's when we got a, a, a JVC VHS player. Ooh, the creme de la creme. That my dad went nuts and started taping every single film that was on. It's a toss-up between Predator and this film, Alien. And I just remember Dad would record it and then take it out and label it, you know, whatever it was. And I'd be like, what's this, Dad? And he'd just give, like, an explanation. And the one, I always remember the one for Alien because he was just like, oh, the, this spaceship lands on a planet and there's an alien and, he, and he, they'd take it back on board the, the ship and then it kills all the crew. And I was like, oh, that sounds all right. And, phew, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that kind of, <laughs> that explanation stayed with me. And then, obviously, um, when my brother and I watched the film itself... Um, yeah, we're in for some surprises and we're going to be in, getting into that very shortly. I absolutely love your dad's stripped back synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> this is a right to the bare elements. He didn't know that like that now. <laughs> no. Apparently, in space, no one can hear you scream. However, the panel of peril screams of yeah or mare have been known to bend the rules of space and time and occasionally defy logic. So, with that in mind, please can I have a yeah or mare for these films from 1979? Superman! Yeah. What What was it? I missed it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was Critters for the Crittering. <laughs> no, Critical Mass, actually. Critterous all sorts. <laughs> No, it was Superman. Superman, yeah. 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 Even though the ending is bonkers. Uh, my head is saying yeah. And my heart's saying it's a bit boring. <laughs> you have a JJ saying no. <laughs> so I'm going to go meh. I probably wouldn't watch it now. So I'll say meh. Oh, I'd definitely watch it now. If it was on a Sunday afternoon on ITV2, I'd be like, yeah, I'm watching this. Oh, I'd be asleep in four minutes. Oh, four minutes? <laughs> that Sunday long? afternoon. <laughs> uh, Rocky 2. Yeah. 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 Uh, Watched it the other day. Yeah, I know you've been re-watching them. I think it's a mare for me because... Yeah. I don't remember it very well, but I do know that the ending of Rocky is perfect. And I didn't really understand the point of a rematch where... Going oh. back, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, you, I know what you mean. The thing that... Uh, got pointed out to me on another podcast called the Total Reboot Podcast is that each Rocky film is vaguely autobiographical to Sylvester Stallone. So the first one, he's like the lovable schlub who almost makes it because he was sort of down on his luck. Porn actor, basically, wasn't he, when he made that? Mm -hmm. And the second one, he gets his taste of success. The third one, his success is kind of revealed to be a bit of a sham. Mm. Yeah. Uh, The fourth one, he's trying to end the Cold War. (laughs) 
<laughs> Unsuccessful. You can sort of see it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's, that's good. Yeah. I've never, I've yeah. never thought of it like that before. That's quite an interesting take on it. Yeah. 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 A take with no problems whatsoever. No nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Apocalypse now. Yeah. I'm gonna say meh. Not a fan of it. Uh, yeah. Me too. Mm, I'm gonna say meh as well. The life of Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cannibal Holocaust. Never seen it. Uh, I think I've seen it once. And I think it's a meh. Meh. Yeah, not my cup of tea. It is a meh. Yeah, it's just shock value. Mm. And there's nothing really in it for anybody yeah. other than it's a gore fest. I love the bit where they pull his cock off and they eat it. Uh, Horrible. Later on, we will be competing to improve the villainous plot of the week, but for now, we'll take a dive into the film itself. Commercial mining vessel Nostromo is diverted from its voyage back to Earth, where it intercepts a distress message from a nearby solar system. After the crew touch down on the planet, a team is sent out to investigate the source of the signal, which turns out to be a derelict spacecraft. Inside the craft, the team discover a long-dead ancient alien space jockey and a cavern filled with ovoid, leathery shapes, which they decide to investigate. Unfortunately, one of these ovoids hatches and then attaches itself to crew member Kane. Breaking the ship's strict quarantine rules, the away team are let back inside the ship, something they will all soon come to regret. Alien was released in the US in May 1979 on limited release and had no formal premiere. However, a number of sets, props and models were displayed outside a cinema in Hollywood. The space jockey was destroyed as it was deemed a work of the devil by vandals. Bloody Philistines. Alien received initial mixed response from critics, but was a box office success, and Fox eventually noted the worldwide gross was $143 million from a budget of $11 million. Launching the career of Sigourney Weaver and spawning a franchise of seven films so far and counting, the legacy of Alien is perhaps one of the greatest of cinematic history, and certainly one that I am looking forward to discussing with the panel. So, Gaz, Alien, is it a film that has a special place in your heart? Oh, very much so. The first one that I saw was actually Aliens. Probably, again, a bit too young to be watching it uh, on the urging of my brother Mark. But Alien itself, I saw it's probably two or three years after it in France in the attic of a cottage that we were staying in on a double-sided Betamax videotape. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, quite the experience uh, watching it like that. The only way this story is getting any more perfect is if that's when you lost your virginity as well. <laughs> <laughs> and you climaxed <laughs> the chest first. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite. It is a, a tremendous uh, film, markedly different from, from all the others in the series, I would say, in terms of pacing in the fact that there is only the one monster. Well, they're saying that there's only one in Alien 3, isn't there? No, I think. Yeah. Uh, but Alien 3 is shit, of course. Uh, director's <laughs> cut or no. Yes, it's the peak of the series uh, for me. Yeah. Aliens, close, but but not quite as good as the original. Yeah, cool. 
I'll just say that for me, this is the best film we've watched during the, the podcast. Ooh, wow. This is where I would be on the side of the this is cinema people mm. because, you know, in terms of cinematography, attention to detail, screenplay, subtext, this is uh, the closest to kind of what, what people would call real cinema, I think, that we've watched so far. It deserves its place in, you know, the, the 100 greatest films of all time. And more than that, it's just really entertaining. It is my favourite of the franchise. Yeah, uh, very highly rated from me. Lord Manly Supreme, do you reciprocate Gaz and Craig's emotions on the film? You know, I've never had a strong connection with this film, ever. Certainly not like you three. I think I probably watched it once when I was a teenager, and, and that was it. This time was probably my second, at the very most, third watch of the movie. Certainly my first watch as an adult. I enjoyed it. I think I could probably go over the same length of time again without watching it. I think once every couple of decades is probably all right for me. <laughs> I appreciate it as a piece of art. Mm. I think it's amazing. There were some really beautiful touches. For as much as I enjoyed it, I just didn't feel like it, it's right in my wheelhouse. It's not one like, say, like a labyrinth or a, or a willow that I could just go and get lost in. But yes, yeah, I, I, I totally get why it's considered among the top films ever. I think the way that the suspense is built for kind of the mm. first half of the movie and then how the film just comes alive once you see the mm -hmm. uh, the alien, mm. probably from that chest-bursting scene, it just ramps up the tension. I think it's masterful. You know, any filmmaker can learn from it. But I think it's probably just a, a personal tasting. I wouldn't put it in any my, in my top 10 for sure. But I, yeah, like I said, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, you're a bit more... Have a bit more of an aversion to gore and stuff, especially these days, don't you? So, yeah, but I don't think that was the issue really. If I'm honest, I thought the suspense it was nicely done, but it went for me, it felt mm. a bit long. I think it could have been maybe a third less, and you get to the xenomorph and, mm. and that part's a little bit sooner. But I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try and pick apart the great one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's widely regarded as a, as a masterpiece of suspense yeah. building. So, you know, I'm not going to, yeah. for me, it felt a little long, but no, I, it was, it was great. In the director's cut that only came out about 10 years ago, I remember Ridley Scott, mm. I've only watched it once, but Ridley Scott said in the pre-publicity, he said, looking at it now, I'm just thinking, get on with it a bit. Why are you taking so long? So Ridley Scott agrees with you. <laughs> Me picking this film, and I did say at the end of last week's episode, it's one of my favourite films of all time, and it is in my top three. And I think as a work of suspense, there's only one other film really that is in the same league as this, and, and that's The Thing, mm. um, that followed three years after this. Um, it's just unbelievable. And there's so much. I, I watched it on Disney, so it's top quality copy to watch it on. Oh, yeah, it looked the business, didn't it? Really well remastered. Yeah. It was one of those ones, it was like, they made it so well at the time. And the mm. same with, I felt like Roger Rabbit, that it maybe the mm. 4K and stuff would bring out some discrepancies and little mm. rough finishes here and there. But it's not, it's just absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And the, yeah. the, pro the only problems that I had years ago are still the same problems now. But it's just brilliant film, fantastic casting, the creature design i know why you love it <laughs> you love it because it's basically bilbo baggins in space <laughs> have you seen the initial design that the concept artist ron cobb did for alien i don't think so 
I shall send it to you now via the magic of WhatsApp. Cast your little uh, peepers over that. Oh, wow. <laughs> mm. It looks like something off a, a 16th century pirate map. It looks an awful lot like Jeff Goldblum's fly. Brendel fly. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was that's, that's it. Yeah. I, th- I thought it yeah. looked a bit like uh, uh, Brundle fly and then something out of mm. Men in Black as well, in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With, with a bit of Ed 209. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crying at Ed 209 if I had a baby. <laughs> That's a nice little segue for um, some Giga Triv, I reckon, there, Craig. All right. Okay. So uh, I saw your request um, for us to provide some trivia, and my response was, do your own fucking research. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. I've got some great, I think, HR Giga Giga trivia. One of the first things is that in, and I'm going to send you something on WhatsApp now. In 1968, he he was part directed a film about an alien, which was called Swiss Made uh, 2069. Mm. And it's kind of like a weird 40-minute student film. And it's on YouTube and you can watch it in its entirety. So um, the works of his from where the, uh, the kind of alien design came, where Ridley Scott had originally seen it published in a magazine... Is a, is a series of gigas which is called Necronomicon. And for years, um, fans looked for links between that work and the work of H.P. Lovecraft until Giga admitted that uh, it's nothing to do with that. He just liked the name Necronomicon. <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, and then my favourite piece of trivia, and this I'm going to have to send you some images of as well, oh my is God. that... Doing all your work. Oh, he was originally commissioned <laughs> to design the Batmobile for Batman Forever. And, uh, oh, wow. As you can see, <laughs> his design is shit. quite something. Wow! It's kind of kind of like a lobster claw. It's got some some cool practical things that it can do, like it can open up into different formations. I was going to say, it can open a can. <laughs> It looks more like a spaceship than a car, though, doesn't it? I would say that's more like some sort of like uh, Star Wars type of ship. That would look more at home on fucking wacky races than in Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Those fins look like the Batman 66 Batmobile on that pencil drawing. Yeah. Yeah, I see a lot of the 66 one in there, yeah. So I hope you've enjoyed my HR Geiger Giga trivia. We've raised the bar, the trivia bar, very high there, Craig. (laughs) There's no way Gaz is going to get anywhere near that. I just need one minute. <laughs> so look, look, he's going to do some research now. He's panicking. <laughs> no, I've, I've, got, I've got research. I've got research. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> just, I'll be back in about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Manly Supreme, I believe you have some headline news for us. Yeah, so I found a few bits of uh, Sigourney Weaver trivia. I will give you a few headlines and you can choose what you'd like to hear. The first one. Weaver's breakout role. Weaver, youngest crew member. Weaver almost didn't make it through the filming. Ripley was almost played by Meryl Streep. Ridley Scott instructed Yafet Koto to annoy Sigourney Weaver on set. <laughs> and finally, Weaver's unusual preparation routine on set. Well, I can believe that Yafet Koto was instructed to annoy Sigourney because it, it comes across brilliantly but obviously now you've said that it kind of makes sense that she's kind of a little bit <laughs> irked in real life by his character yeah exactly so 
so he he was instructed by Ridley Scott secretly um, to just just wind her up offset <laughs> um, and and just to kind of generate tension, yeah. And that, obviously that was carried over. But since filming, he, he said he regretted it because he really liked Weaver, but it's really affected their relationship. <laughs> what was her strange uh, preparation for shooting? To prepare for a day's filming on set, Weaver would close the curtains in her trailer and stare at an enlarged copy of Giga's Xenomorph concept art while listening to whale calls and eating egg salad sandwiches. <laughs> Something she detested as a child, but was regularly forced to eat. <laughs> On top of this, before some of the more harrowing scenes, she would ask Ridley Scott to hand her a Kit Kat, then get him to snatch it away from her and tell her that she couldn't have any until she tidied her room. <laughs> Again, this was to help her to tap into childhood trauma, which she could use in the scene. Fucking is hell. That, is that Jen? Is it real? Nah, I made that up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that is fucking I, I weird. I got through all the trivia and I thought, I've got to do a funny That's one. That's great. And that just made me laugh right in it. So. That's excellent. It's all fake. The egg salad stuff as well. Yeah. Oh, well done. Was, yeah, that was... You, that you was... fished me in. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's really good. Gaz, do you want to hit us? I've got quite a similar thing to Lord Manly Supreme. I've got five Ridley Scott facts. You've got to spot the fakie. One, 20th Century Fox doubled the budget from 4.2 million to 8.4 after seeing Ridley Scott's hand-drawn storyboards. Two, Ridley Scott did all of the handheld camera work himself. Three, Ridley Scott says that the mechanism to open the alien egg was so strong that it could tear off your hand. Four, Ridley Scott originally wanted Ripley to be fully nude in the final scene aboard the shuttle and for the alien to be mm. visibly aroused by her nudity. <laughs> Five, Ridley Scott insisted that the cast and crew subsist solely on a diet of pickled onion monster munch and strawberry flavoured angel delight as this would be standard space-faring diet. Hmm... <laughs> 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 Should we all go through our favourite bits? One thing that I really love about Alien is the the way that the title Alien comes in a little bit at a time. Thrills That's me lovely. every time. Once you've seen that opening sequence a f- couple of times, I'd say, then it is one of those ones that it just you just settle in, don't you? It's just great. One of the most haunting opening sequences, I think, really. Yeah. For me, I think the highlight of the film is the visual storytelling throughout. Right from that that opening panning shot when you're going through the the cold quiet ship, and you see that drinking bird just mm. just nodding because it shows so much. You know, although the ship's quiet, there's life there. You know that the people that put it there have got a sense mm. of humor. That they tell you a little bit about the crew, and and when you meet them and you find out they're kind of all working class Joes, it fits. And it's there's just so many touches like that. It feels like a real spaceship, doesn't it? Partly because of the visuals, but also because of the sound design, like that yeah. constant hum. Yeah, that too. Everything feels really lived in. Yeah. Kane's pilot chair is one of the ones for me, or the leather's all cracked where he's been sitting in it. The attention to that detail, I think for me, is the highlight. It really tells a story. Funny enough, you should mention that. That is down to the original concept artist who worked on the film, who did the interior and the external designs of the Nostromo and Nostromo B and the Narcissus and stuff like that. Um, That's Ron Cobb. And that's all his designs and his mantra was, form must have function. So everything you see in that 
is this if you watch quite a lot of the modern movies now you can see his designs in that film have influenced later films and other set designers and stuff like that and it's something else um and he's he he worked he actually worked on star wars uh a new hope oh, wow. but he also did back to the future the abyss total recall conan the barbarian aliens as well again so chances are if you've seen a film within the last 40 years you've seen at least a, a ron cobb design or a design influenced by him so it's all down to him it's incredible if we're just talking favorite moments mine's visual as well uh, and it's all about the framing of when the landing party go down and ash is watching them through the the windows um and then it cuts to uh ripley and she's framed incredibly well as well uh and then it cuts to jones the cat and it's also the, the shot is it's like poetry and then down to the surface where you've got the landscape and the is it a star that's in the background on the right that whole sequence it just made me kind of stop in my tracks and just take it all in visually it's it's like stunning yeah this film really made me long for practical effects even more it's a masterclass. yeah Alien holds up much better than it than its sequels. Even Resurrection has some ropey CGI in it, doesn't it? I think that's partly down to how much they're shown. It's like the the Alien, I think another fact that mm. I read is it only literally only has three minutes of screen time, which is mad when you think about it. Yeah, but even even the model shots of the ship in space and the landscapes, the the Alien landscapes, and all the practical set design of like the space jockey and all that. Yeah. The chest burst is the one thing where I would maybe go, that looks kind of stupid when it like runs along. <laughs> that bit, perhaps, but the burst itself, because you see the reactions of the actors and, and they didn't know what was coming, did they? They didn't know there was going to be real blood. You feel it. That's all like butcher's bits, isn't it? Tripe and all sorts. <laughs> yeah. My favourite sequence is Harry Dean Stanton's final stand just his slow sort of comb through the nostromo looking for jonesy and it's just yeah. sort of this creeping dread isn't it you, mm. you're just like it's gonna get got any minute but it it takes yeah. it must be a good five five or so minutes and then yeah. for me it's iconic the room that he gets got in with the chains hanging down yeah. and the water dripping and ridley scott the executives were like why is there water dripping in this room and he was like because it looks cool all right <laughs> <laughs> It's great, isn't it? Love Ridley Scott. Becky had never seen it before. She she didn't watch the whole film, but she saw this bit because I was like, wait until you see the cat's reaction to this. Oh. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, the, the cutaway to Jonesy just like innocently staring <laughs> as he gets mauled to death. Yeah. And when Jonesy hisses at the xenomorph as well. That's great yeah. too. Yeah. Apparently <laughs> how they filmed that was they had a black screen. They had the cat on one side, they had a dog on the other, and they just raised the screen and filmed the reaction of the cat freaking uh, out at the dog. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the bit when you sort of realise when they when they go missing and then he goes on that and he's on his own, you think... That's the rule one of horror movie, isn't it? It's don't, don't go off on your own. Yeah. yeah. Even if it is, you're just looking for a cat that you think is totally harmless. It's that <laughs> moment you go, okay, things are going to change up a little bit here. And it certainly did. I've only got one note on the second page here. And it is, I'd feel vulnerable in little pants and vest. But somehow <laughs> Ripley just looks like a badass. Mm. And that's her John McClane moment. She she should have done more action stuff because you see her in Aliens and especially Alien 3. She's such a commanding presence uh -huh. and such a believable action star. She's an athlete through and through, you can see. Yeah. Mm. 
She's very tall as well, isn't she, yeah. Sigourney Weaver? Yeah. Uh, statuesque. Yeah. Oh, I love Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> in Resurrection, when she's got the alien, uh, like, enhanced abilities playing basketball and shit. She did that for real, right? The, yeah, uh, have you seen the, the actual yeah. Uh, yeah. footage? It's brilliant. Yeah. Where they nearly yeah. ruin it by cheering. Yeah. They've got to, like, split second cut away yeah. as soon as the ball goes in because everybody went, oh, my God! Yeah, it just goes nuts, doesn't it? It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's Ron Perlman, isn't it? He nearly fucks it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's great. Again, this is kind of fortuitous. My favourite part of the film is the development of Ripley and, and of Sigourney as, as mm. her character because it's not clear from the beginning in these type of films who you know, usually usually got, oh, here's the, the heroine or the hero. Right. Mm. Yes. Yeah. She just evolves and there's little pieces and it begins really for me when she's saying they're not allowed back on the ship and she gets over and yeah. then she goes and confronts Ash and I was like, there she is. This is her being forthright yeah. and being confident and strong and being willing to, to stand up for herself and to be brave and stuff. And then from there on in, she sort of takes the lead, really, doesn't she? Yeah. And she challenges Dallas as well. And then when he goes, that's it. She's in and she wants to know what's going on. I love that scene where she confronts Ash because... Ian Holm, the way he plays it, he looks so irritated and he's just avoiding eye contact with her and he treats her like pure shit. Like, yeah. kind of, it feels sexist in the moment, but you don't obviously realise that he's not a man at that point. He's being, like, dead patronising and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. You know there's something off about him, mm. but you don't know what's coming. Right. And his performance is just, for me, it's the strongest performance in the in the movie. I know Sigourney Weave's great, but he is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, we quite, some of us like Prometheus and, you know, especially Michael Fassbender, mm. but I think he plays it more what I would expect somebody to play an android like mm. than Ian Holm does. He, he His his version of it is so subtle. Mm. Yeah. He, he really sells the reveal. It's great. I think when Fassbender plays David, he's more of like a sociopath. And whereas yeah. Yeah. Ash, he keeps you guessing and you can't tell, whereas yeah. it seems David, from a certain point, you can tell he's... He's not all there, whereas Ash is just a bit of a enigma for a while until he, you know, it gets revealed he's he's got his secret orders from the company. Yeah. If anyone watched that film for the first time and guessed that Ash was an android, I would give them a tube of Smarties because that mm. is an impressive guess. I mean, that's Quite a fine prize, but I know you don't <laughs> like chocolate, so that makes me suspicious. I'm wondering if you're an android. <laughs> I'm into chocolate a little bit these days. Quite like a Frere Rocher in my old age. Spoiling yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we get on to favourite lines, please? Me, me, me. <laughs> Gals, would you like to go first? <laughs> oh, it's funny you should ask. <laughs> Actually, I'd like to do a contest for favourite line, who goes first? And I want you to raise your hands and try and get my attention like you were trying to answer a question you really knew in class when you were about eight years old. Ready? Go. Sir, 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 sir. Me. Sir. Me. Uh, Yeah, Gaz's is the best because he's holding his own wrist. <laughs> yeah, you've got to hold your own hand up. That shows how much effort you're putting into it. So, Gaz, please go first. <laughs> Mine is from Ash after he's had his block knocked off. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking to them and he says, I think it's his final line. He says to Ripley, I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. 
Yeah. He just smiles. And he does. Oh, oh you yeah. little sucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's devilish. No, it's it's fantastic bit that, isn't it? Yeah. I love that as well. Uh, Lord Manly Supreme, seen as you were also vigorously craving my attention a minute ago. <laughs> I was just doing that to uh, wind up. <laughs> <laughs> One that's kind of stood out and made me laugh was uh, back toward the old freezerinos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget where it yeah. comes to film, but it just maybe maybe chuck on. So I wrote that one down. It's after when Kane wakes up after the facehugger's dropped off. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, it's great that one there. Craig's. Yeah, no, I, I was too busy kind of enjoying it. I didn't write any lines of dialogue down. <laughs> googling, googling. Don't don't allow him. Don't allow him to say anything. That one of Ashes is probably yeah. mine as well. If you had the chance to put a line in, what line would you put in? It would be if Ripley said to the Xenomorph before, right before she killed it, I'll give you Alien in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that would ring really true. Right, uh, right. <laughs> send that to Ridley Scott, you might put it in a new director's cut. <laughs> I would insert an extra scene between uh, Ripley and Lambert where they're just arguing about what cute name they can give to the Alien. <laughs> They'd be like, I want to call him Alan, Alan the Alien. The other one would be like, no, no. No, Mr. Snuggles. How about this for a a badass send-off line then? She'll get her hand on the airlock and she'll wait. Even though it's dangerous, right? You you have to pause when you say your your send-off line. And she says to it, more like placid for blood and then she opens the (laughs) (laughs) my favorite line is and i don't think i've picked it up before but it just made me laugh as soon as i heard it it's just a when they go hunting for the little chase burster it's like micro changes in air density my ass As we find out, the normal science officer that Captain Dallas sails with was replaced with Ash two days prior to their journey. The reasons why become clear when Ripley later discovers Ash's secret orders from the company to bring back the specimen and life form with the crew defined as expendable. Not only is Ash protecting and admiring the alien, turns out he is an android, no doubt to ensure his complete loyalty. Lord Manly Supreme, how does this fare in your vegetable rating system of plots? It is a sneaky one. Very sneaky. There was no way I would have guessed it. I couldn't see any of it coming. It wasn't ultimately successful because of uh, Ripley, obviously. But for its slow down, sneaky nature, I'm giving it 11 florets of broccoli. So it's a joint second placer. It's uh, Wow. Yeah. High praise indeed. It goes to 11. It is a hell of a plan. I mean, those evil corpo bastards sitting around the meeting table coming up with that. They've got some nerve, haven't they? It's such a chilling, cold line as well, isn't it? Crew expendable. Mm, Yeah. Very very stark. Yeah. Oh, man, to to be in charge and just have that as a directive. Crew expendable. Bastards. Yeah. Yeah. Per egg? I think it's an absolutely bold plan. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) 
after Ripley discovers Ash's secret orders and he is exposed as a malfunctioning, murderous robot, he is swiftly disabled and questioned, where he offers his pessimistic opinion about their chances and his false sympathies. How nice. All before he becomes a big pile of melted plastic at the end of Parker's flamethrower. But can we do any better? How would we ensure that Wayland yutani get the priceless specimen that they so greatly desire? Craig, is your android glass of milk half full or half empty? Let's play a game. A numbers game. A good game, good game. A generation game. Let's meet the eight who are going to generate seven crew members plus one cat. Special order 937. A classified retrieval order from Wayland yutani and the reason Ash is placed aboard the Nostromo. 937. Will you go higher or lower? Lower. 426. LV 426. The supposed distress call from LV 426. In fact, a warning beacon. A fact known to Ash. The company fully expects to find alien life at the crash site and sends Ash to ensure its safe return to their facilities orbiting the Earth for study. Which begs the question, when Kane returns to the Nostromo with an alien creature attached to his face, why doesn't Ash simply agree to Parker's suggestion they place Kane in cryo for the trip back? The sequel Aliens offers a partial explanation for this, as Ripley explains why Burke needed Newt to become an already impregnated host in order to clear quarantine since the organism never would. Indeed, Ash has to ignore quarantine protocols against Ripley's orders in order to simply get Kane and the facehugger back aboard the Nostromo, let alone back to Earth. So he must let things play out the way they do to a point in order to discover how the alien gestation cycle works. Once he's been party to Kane rudely ruining lunch, his mind turns to murder, perhaps because he's an android and wouldn't immediately think like a human. But the answer is there if he is only observant. The only real voice of dissent is Ripley, which is why in the film he attacks her first. Dallas is a company man, content to do as he's told. Lambert is traumatised beyond the capacity for rational thought. Jones is a cat and therefore a fucking idiot. But the ones you need to pay attention to are the guys at the bottom, Parker and Brett. Ash is already well aware of how they feel about their pay and has already used this knowledge to manipulate them previously. So let's take that a step further. Let's tell them I've developed a portable egg stasis chamber, just like I was able to quickly knock up a tracker to locate the chestburster. Now, let's tell them about the huge bonus the company is prepared to offer if we return with a dozen eggs, and the total withdrawal of full pay if we refuse. We won't make the same mistakes as Kane, I assure them. We know where he went wrong. To keep them thinking about the reward over the risk, I describe to them some of the sweet things they can spend their money on. An Emma Portius two-piece suit with a stylish popped-collar lapel. A box of Fleischmann's <laughs> Simply Homemade Cornbread Baking Mix. A pair of Reebok Alien Stomper Trainers. A year's supply of whiskey cubes and a Kenwood Whiskey Cube Laser Melter Pro. A P5000 Powered Workloader. A crate of Aspen Beer. A cuddly toy. <laughs> Hey. Some poontang. <laughs> I'm going to send you some images uh, of, of those goodies so you can see some of the things that I mentioned. I hope there's some poontang on this. I did not include poontang on uh, this. Boo. I think you use your imagination for that. But you can see here mm -hmm. Burke's uh, popped collar, yeah. the Reebok alien stompers, yeah, which were a real tie-in, the beer <gasps> and, the, and the old whiskey cubes, as I'm sure you remember. 
Even if they don't exactly bite my hand off, the majority of the crew will be on board with returning to the space jockey ship to harvest our big score, and we'll leave Ripley behind with Dallas and the cattle prod to take care of the tiny little chestburster. Down on LV-426, I play a risky game. Not requiring a breathable atmosphere, I trip and fall into the egg fog, smashing my helmet visor. I play-act panic, grasping at the hole. As the others rush to my aid, I calm down, remove my helmet slowly, and, furrowing my brow, I tell them, to all of our astonishment, that the atmosphere is breathable. It must be something to do with the alien spacecraft, I tell them. The distraction gave the surrounding eggs more than enough time to open, and the facehuggers within leap to the nearest living organisms. I take the crew back to the ship, and once again, I overrule Ripley and order Dallas to let us in. I explain that once the facehuggers have dropped off and died, we'll place the survivors in the cryotubes and get them to a facility where the incubating chestbursters can be safely surgically removed and destroyed. I admit to Ripley that they'll be studied, but posthumously. And to show her I mean it, I agree to help her and Dallas track down the one that's already loose aboard the ship and kill it with the flamethrower. It doesn't matter whether we succeed or fail. Either way, I'm going home with my prize. Three aliens. You get nothing for a pair in this game. <laughs> Didn't they do well? <laughs> Very nice. I've got a question. To hunt aliens, would you really wear Reeboks? I mean, ask the, the marketing mm. team at Fox. Mm. I don't know. That's the only bit I don't like. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't mean hunting them. They're called alien stompers. Maybe it doesn't mean like any kind of yeah. violent act against an alien. Maybe it just means like stomping like... Uh, it's our stomping ground. Yeah. You wear them to hang out with aliens. Like uh, Chumba Webba. Yeah. This is, these are my Reeboks, and I wear them when I'm on my stomping ground, hanging out with my aliens. <laughs> We're alien fam. Exactly. You dazzled me with your generation game style um, plan. So much so that I was I was looking at the pictures, and then I didn't hear part of your real plan. That was my hope. <laughs> <laughs> I... I <laughs> That was his plan all along. You could, have, you could have been saying trifle, trifle, trifle for like the last two minutes and I wouldn't have understood anything. <laughs> Craig Morris's plan two, the deadly art of illusion. You know how easily distracted I get, so that's part of your plan, which I have to admire as well, actually, to be fair. How do you drag those two guys back to the ship on your own? That's what I want to know. I'm a android. Android super strength. Yeah. Do they have super strength? I can't remember. Yeah, he does. Doesn't he grab Thingy on the chest and squeeze him, Parker? And he yeah, goes, he just squeezes him, yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, squeezing me. He doesn't get the magazine that far down Ripley's throat. He's got a T-shirt. Actually, well, if he's that strong, he just pop through it. Mm. Oh, I imagine that. Teeth are remarkably resilient. I think even a, a normal human could do that one at a time. There's no mm. rush, is there? The facehuggers aren't interested in him because he's not organic. All right. I'll allow it. So what happens to Parker and Brett? He offers them the bonus, the bonus, tells them what they could spend their money on. Yeah. So they come down to LV-426 with him. So they're the ones that get face-hugged? Yes. After taking their helmets off. Right, okay. They don't necessarily take the helmets off. So what I do is I fall down, and when I fall into the egg frog, I smash my helmet. And then I go, oh, no, the atmosphere is breathable. But I don't count on them going, oh, okay, I'll just take my helmet off, because, you know, they might not. They might be a bit wary. But it doesn't matter because the alien melts through Kane's visor mm. and gets onto his mm. face anyway. Yeah, it's the, it's the time, isn't it? Yeah, even if yeah, it's just to distract them while the eggs open because obviously they they know what Kane did and they they wouldn't immediately just go into the fog and peer at the eggs the way he did. 
But if I'm down in the fog and they're trying to help me, uh, you know, it's too late. Okie dokie. Gaz, let's hear what you've got to uh, say. Ash is a very poor mulch. I have no doubts in my mind. After my account this week, I've watched Alien so many times that I'm now pretty sure it's a really bad weed. <sighs> but if not so bad, I can't help but wonder what this means for our history. Let's see how the movie would play out if Ash was a good robot instead of the evil Tiff we all hate. I wrote the screen. <laughs> I wrote the screenplay. In it now? Ashes. I'd say Chip, take it all to Mars. You may have unexpected news. Brett. Ah, now? Parker. It's about bonus status. Ashes. Sorry, no. Dallas. We're about to reach LV426. I don't know what it is, but spit it out. <laughs> Ashes. Well, you see it, because I'm not a man at all. Instead, I'm fake. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I'm fake. Android. Brett, you must be joking. Ripley. <laughs> Ripley. I have no problem with this disclosure because I love and trust Android. Ironic, right? Parker, are you talking to me? Lambert, I'm really scared. Parker, are you talking to me? Dallas, and a skipper. Parker, are you talking to me? Ash can now drag Brett and Parker into another room and tell them about his dire plans. Ashes, now that we're in a different rooms, I can tell you about my evil plans. Brett, I'm not a man. This also seems a bit harmful. Tell him, Parker. Parker, my friends here say that you can hear the focaccia being burnt. Ashes. <laughs> Ashes. Yes, I understand that, but my policy has always been to be honest and trustworthy. My offer is, if you wish to help me, I pledge a fairer share of the estate to the two gentlemen. <laughs> is this pride and prejudice? <laughs> <laughs> there is an alien creature on this planet. He then explained the plot of the film. Ash continued. By the time the two men protect and or capture the crew and help the xenomorph land safely on Earth, the rest of the crew is dead or dying. Workers are completely wasted, except for the two greats, of course. What are you saying? Brett, gosh, I'd sell my mom for ice cream and crafts. I'm inside! <laughs> Parker... I'll give her mama craft and ice cream. <laughs> Just kidding. Me too. They all jumped into the air to celebrate. That's great. So, um, first question is... Uh, it's not finished. It's not finished. Oh, Christ. Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. There's only a couple more lines. They all jumped into the air to celebrate, and then, as before, the three of them crashed to the ground when an alien shapeshifted from Kane's chest. Dallas, Ripley, and Lambert are also there. Good luck. Brett, Parker, and Ash light a cigar, and the address card is a $500 bill. Then he smiles and looks at the camera. Outer iris. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What translation AI have you put it through this week? Okay, so it went English, Korean, Urdu, Icelandic, Sanskrit, Armenian, Welsh, Chinese, English. Wow. 
Not that convoluted this time. <laughs> he could almost make it out. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> so I only got one question. What is your plan? <laughs> I had that question. Oh my God, this is strange. I had that question too. <laughs> it's to just instantly tell Brett and Parker that he's an android. Yeah. And to say that I'll get you bonuses if you help me just get this alien back to Earth. And they go, yeah, right. That's it. <laughs> okay, but how? What do they What do? They do? <laughs> uh, what do they do differently that helps? It's It's in the viewer's imagination. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> The viewer. Yeah. In the film. The viewer of this podcast, available in audio only. <laughs> yeah, but when 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 you're uh, when we talk in the ways we do, it can't help but paint visual in people's minds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. I think that when maybe if Ash goes a bit mad that they can help temper the situation perhaps. And I, I instead of hitting his head off with a fire extinguisher, yeah, or whatever, they would hit yeah. maybe uh, Dallas's head off with a fire extinguisher <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah, for not giving him a bonus. <laughs> and then they'd say, "Let that be a lesson to the rest of you." And they'd all fall in line. <laughs> Excellent. I'll go with my plan next. Uh, Saving the best to last, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest error in my mind is that the crew, or Ash, a science officer, do not freeze Kane. How much Ash knows about the life form and its life cycle or reproductive cycle is unknown, but it's clear he has to return with the specimen. Once Kane is on board the ship, this is achieved in my mind. Allowing things to develop is Ash's downfall, as he couldn't possibly predict how aggressive the xenomorph would become and the lengths the crew would go to to kill it. So... Ash recommends Kane be held in stasis or cryosleep, like we see the crew at the start of the film. The crew are also urged to return to their bunks in order to slow any infection they may have, safe for the journey home, and letting the company, bigwigs, have their fun when they arrive at Earth. I would probably say, now Craig's mentioned the whole thing about customs and not being allowed through, that Ash would wake up partly way through to uh, Earth and place Kane hidden in his little cryo tube in the middle of a load of the ore that's been refined by the Nostromo. And <laughs> when they pump it off, he'll get pumped off into the company's um, tanks wherever and um, hence negating uh, any sort of customs or uh, quarantine issues. Finn? Would it not be better if Ash keistered Kane? Keistered? <laughs> keistered? Put him up his ass. <laughs> you look like you put on a bit of weight. No. <laughs> what about just put a bag over his head? Why's, why's, um, why's Officer King got a bag over his head? I don't know. It's an in-joke. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> the ultimate would be to fucking weekend at Bernie's cane. Damn it. <laughs> Sunglasses and just oh, weekend at Bernie's cane. Right. And like a titanium girdle round his middle to stop the thing coming out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just put put a fez and Groucho Marx glasses over the top of the face hugger. Nobody will know. There's so many better plans of mine there, but that's my thing. I was like, the whole way through, every time I watch it, I think, why don't you just freeze him? And Ash, your buddy psycho android, you just let 
curiosity get the better of you and that's why i was like yeah. you know i understand why he does what he does because he's obviously he's like egotistical and he's and he loves the alien so much and wants to know about it and he's this weird android creature type thing um that that's way the yeah. way it goes it does but i was just like that's the missed opportunity they should have frozen him straight away I was thinking the exact same thing until I watched Aliens right yeah. after. And then when you said yeah. that, I was like, oh, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right. Lord Manly Supreme, final plan is your honour. The Wayland Utani Corporation wants a xenomorph specimen to test its usefulness as a biological weapon. The first part of the plan, and probably the biggest hurdle, getting the specimen on board the ship is dealt with skillfully. So I'll keep that part the same as it is in the movie. But when Kane is placed in the infirmary, I then enact the quarantine rule. I'm sorry, I say. Ripley was quite correct. We did not follow correct procedure. I let my human emotions get the better of me. Please forgive me. I am only human after all. <laughs> I wink knowingly at the camera. <laughs> As science officer, I will take responsibility for Kane's care. For the time being, you should stay clear of the infirmary and concentrate on getting us back to the Nostromo. I will provide regular updates, as I know we humans like to be kept abreast of these types of situations. <laughs> I would request that the area around the infirmary becomes my living quarters, and that no one goes there until we understand what we're dealing with. All I require is two sets of delicious human meals three times a day. <laughs> one for Cain, and one for me to sustain our human energy levels. At regular intervals throughout the journey, I give vague updates like, I'm afraid there's no change in his condition, and we're doing all we can. That should be enough to placate the crew. At the same time, I'd be using the food they send to fill a body bag. On our return to the Nostromo, I would announce to the crew that we had lost our dear human friend Kane. I would show the body bag, which is now wrapped in yellow tape that reads, Biohazard. We carry out his last rites. One of the pallbearers comments on how strangely liquid Kane feels. That son of a bitch life form turned his insides into soup, I say. After we send the bag of food out into deep space, I head to the control room and start to play some sleepy music over the PA. Let's set coordinates for Earth and get some hypersleep, lest our human bodies age irrevocably, I suggest casually. Naturally, the crew agrees. It is standard procedure after all. As they get into their pods, I announce that I will do one last sweep of the ship to make sure the fridge door is closed and that the iron is off, etc. <laughs> we humans often have basic memory lapses such as these. <laughs> what I would really do is head back to the infirmary and release the now gestated xenomorph, who would have the run of the ship and some neatly packaged ready meals for the trip to Earth. How is he retrieving the xenomorph without it attacking him? So it's already brought back on the ship in Kane. Yeah. yeah. Then he just lets it just stay yeah. as it would and it kind of keeps people away from the area. Yeah. And then finally at the end, he just goes and opens the door. Yeah, why doesn't it just tear him in half at that point? Ash. Yeah. Uh, I suppose it could do, but his mission is to is to get it back. So once the coordinates are set, once it's open, whatever happens, happens. Mm. Okay. So we know that what happens with the gestation cycle is eventually the face hugger falls off dead and then there's a period where Kane appears well uh, and normal and goes back to have food with the crew before the chestburster 
So at that point, why does Ash think that... Because he doesn't know that Kane's been impregnated. He thinks the alien life form is the facehugger and it's died. So why is he continuing with his plan at that point? Um, <laughs> he has a very special android foresight called Foresightia. <laughs> it was uh, something put in by the Wayland Utani Corporation. It's in the law. You have to check it out. He can predict patterns based on a range of data inputs, visual, audio, numeric. Uh, I, I could go on. <laughs> She'd have said it was called Bruce Foresight. Oh. Oh. I guess he's got X-ray equipment to to look at Kane, being as he's. He doesn't do that though, does he? Oh, uh, he does. In my plan, he does. He he gets it. But he doesn't in the movie because he doesn't know he's looking for anything. He just thinks he thinks the facehugger is the life form at first, yeah. until the chestburster comes out. He doesn't know anything about that because the space jockey's warning signal isn't that explicit. Listen, if you're going to really pick apart my plan, then yeah, it's not going to hold up. <laughs> <laughs> now stop with your silly questions and shut up. <laughs> you're just embarrassing me in front of all of my friends. <laughs> And making yourself look like a boffin. <laughs> Some wickedly, dastardly schemes there, but in summation, we'll um, talk about them here. Before we vote, Craig's generation game style plot involves Parker and Brett as the patsies, eventually infecting them and bringing them back with aliens inside them. Gaz has a similarly themed plan around Brett and Parker, where it Ash tells him he's an android from the beginning, tells him he's going to give him a load of money, and the rest is up to your own imagination. The rest is a directorial hand wave of the greatest magnitude. <laughs> shoo, 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 shoo. <laughs> and uh, Lord Manly Supreme, Ash will isolate himself from Kane from the crew, fake Kane's death, and then once the crew are asleep, he shall release the alien that has burst from Kane's chest to feast at its leisure. And my plan was to freeze Kane when he got on board the ship. Simple, really. But there can only be one winner, or not. Ho ho! Famously, last week there were four winners. Yeah, there was four, yeah. or four losers, should we say. <laughs> so if we can all now cast a vote. Craig! I have voted... And I had to think about this a lot because they were all great <laughs> and they all they all had different things going on. But in the end, I voted for the one that I couldn't really pick any holes in because it didn't have much going on. And I voted for Gaz. Because <laughs> <laughs> once you sort of say, all right, if you stop, if you get Parker on board and therefore he doesn't hit Ash's head off with a fire extinguisher, <laughs> at that point, that kind of does change mm. the path of things. And because there's no follow-up to that, and I had to fill in what happens from there, what I've done in my head is I've gone on from there. And the, the plan that I've made, I think, is quite good as it goes on from there. So, so you're voting for Gaz for your plan that you've made up in your head? <laughs> really? <laughs> Gaz's plan with your name on it. <laughs> right, okay. Gaz, cast your vote, please. Well, because uh, it was very similar to my plan, but with... Uh, considerably more detail, detail. <laughs> <laughs> i've come for craig ah oh, that f bloody pesky detail <laughs> pish posh lord manly supreme uh please reveal your vote 
I too have voted for Craigie Morhees. I can't see that. So I don't think that vote counts. Sorry, I'm going to have to disqualify you. <laughs> Spoiled no, voting paper. No, no. Stop the count. Sorry, that's not acceptable. <laughs> and unsurprisingly, my vote is also for Craig. Yay! Ah, uh, he's bloody walking it. So that means Craig is this week's winner. How does that affect the scores, Miss Ford or Cows? In top spot with seven and a half points is Craig. In joint second place with three and a half points is myself, Gaz, and Adam. Yay! And languishing in fourth place with two and a half points is Lord Manly Supreme. That's unjust, that. It is unjust. (laughs) So, as reward for winning this week's episode, Craig doesn't get to choose next week's film. That (laughs) falls to... Last place at the moment, but last season's winner, Lord Manly Supreme. Over to you. It's a film that I think we have to do, given that we're all huge, huge fans of the TV show. It was a film that was a long time in the making. We're going to watch the Simpsons movie. Oh, Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) That's a doozy. I shall look forward to that. I can watch it with the kids as well, which is awesome. I know. Please don't. No, I'm not allowed. <laughs> you can have them in the room, but they're not allowed to face the TV. Okay. <laughs> I've got to audio describe what's going on. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as we have. If you have, please follow us and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow us and interact with us across social media on at DiabolicalPod. Most importantly, if you know someone who might like the pod, please share it with them. Well, why not be a true friend of the show and beg a film star or producer to listen to the pod and get them to endorse us? That would be ace. I'd even take a simple like. <laughs> Lord knows we need it. So until next time, dear listener, this is Adam, last survivor of the Nostromo, Signing off. Not now, HR Giga. I'm eating a fruit corner.